nature is sacred. That's what's in Vedic religion. Nature is sacred. And what we are doing to the planet in the annihilation of life, the destruction of the climate stability, is wrong. If we take a deep look at ourselves and at society, what if the main reason that we now find ourselves in this escalating climate emergency is in reality that we and those systems that we've built and the laws that we've created lost their connection with nature, ignored that we are part of all life on planet Earth? And what if this question turned out to be really important, much more important than we tend to think? How bad is it? Current policies are taking the world to a 2.8 degree temperature rise by the end of the century. That spells catastrophe, yet the collective response remains pitiful. We are hurtling towards disaster, eyes wide open, with far too many... How'd you end up in here? Oh, well, I tried to start a revolution but didn't print enough pamphlets, so hardly anyone turned up except for my mum and her boyfriend, who I hate. But I'm actually organising another revolution. I don't know if you'd be interested in something like that. Do you reckon you'd be interested? The climate revolution. What if our survival and the survival of all life on this blue planet Earth depends not on technological solutions and not on the gods of some 2,000-year-old testaments or old scriptures, but on a new ecological awakening, a renaissance where we humans begin to realize, rediscover and explore that we are deeply connected to nature. A new global movement, a revolution in spiritual affairs, advised by indigenous and eco-spiritual worldview and framed by environmental science. Sounds too far out, you think? Well, welcome to the Climate Revolution. This is the seventh episode of the Climate Revolution podcast series. And today we will be going far and far out maybe at the same time as we'll be looking inwards at the inner climate revolution. That sort of feeling you can get, I certainly have experienced it on a quiet night when you're out in nature and you're watching the full moon rise and suddenly you have this sensation of history, planetary history, something that rising moon is trying to tell us very quietly and actually so quiet that very few people listen. Today in the Climate Revolution, I'll introduce you to one Australian man who's been listening. And it was actually a plastic bag and later on a bird that got him started on this journey. So he got this idea, this some would say this crazy idea to start a religion devoted to the living planet and a spiritual reverence for nature. You seek the Holy Grail. That is our quest. Our quest is to find the Holy Grail. 
Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it is. Yeah. 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 And so we're 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 looking for it. Yes. Sure. Yeah. 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 We are. Yeah. We have been for some time. Ages. Mm. This is a hypothesis, right? It's a hypothesis that says that if we can spread this thing out far enough with the proper resources, that we can change the trajectory of human civilization away from the abyss. This program could have this equivalent impact as renewable energy. That's my hypothesis. I need the resources to test it. Guy Lane is an environmental scientist and a writer. He holds a Bachelor of Environmental Science with honors from Griffith University and has written nine fiction novels and two non-fiction books, one of them titled What Comes Next? Climate Change, The Future and You. He's based in Brisbane. At the very heart of VEDA is the fusion of environmental science with ecological spirituality. When you come into the room of VEDA, VEDA religion, you know, the word religion puts everybody off, but just think of it as, as a belief that that's, nature is sacred. That's what's in VEDA religion. Nature is sacred. And what we are doing to the planet in the annihilation of life, the destruction of the climate stability, is, is wrong. It is simply wrong. It, it is wrong at the deepest level of the human being because we're destroying, if, if nothing else, we're destroying our life support system. So what's the difference between shooting yourself in the head and continuing to expand the fossil fuel industry? It's the same thing. Trust me here, this is a journey that's really worth exploring and spending some time on. A journey that reflects a perspective of what our history and our future holds. I've worked around sustainability for 20 years and been around all sorts of people. And if you ask, if you ask them how long does sustainability last, most people, they don't think about that question. And if they did, they would tend to say 2100, as though something is sustainable if it, if it can survive, you know, best part of a century. And so my inquiry was, well, how long have we actually got on Earth? What does science tell us about that? And the science of cosmology and the study of main sequence stars tells us that our sun will eventually consume most of its fuel. And as it's consuming the fuel, it will swell, it'll become a red giant. And eventually as it swells, it will bake uh, Earth lifeless. And that's some one to two billion years away, maybe longer, but that sort of time frame. And there's other things that can, that can destroy the ecosystem before that or to really winnow it down and make it uninhabitable for Earth. Um, and so this is where the idea of the, um, the, the, uh, the galactic year comes in, is that conceivably we could, we could last 200 million years on this planet, conceivably. And this is why we use the icon of the Nautilus. The Nautilus is a creature that has remained largely unchanged for nearly 600 million years since the, you go, you go and find the fossils of the, uh, was it the Ammonites, they call them? almost identical to a, a nautilus which you can still find drifting around in the ocean so that's our icon you know we we aspire to be you know we aspire to live as long as the seafood <laughs> that's the uh, that's the aspiration there and that should be in all the den all the religions should have that in it but they don't because they were founded two thousand years ago you know i was at a campfire one time with some friends and i was telling them about Vita and and I said, and you know, now that I've actually got the first one through, I'm thinking, what's the next one? What's the next religion? Because it's a simple model. 
it's the belief in the supernatural and the canons of conduct. So I said, what about a, a religion devoted to campfires? And they're like, nah. I said, what about a religion devoted to beer? They're like, oh, oh. I said, what about a religion devoted to the beach? They're like, yes, yes. Beaches are sacred, okay? Beaches are sacred, and here's the practice. Clean it up. Look after it, okay? Understand it. Learn your coastal geomorphology. Visit it periodically. There you go, straight away. You've got the religion of the beach. Now, that could be huge, you know? And here's the thing as well. Buckminster Fuller says that if you want a better system, don't run interference on the old one. Create an, a better one, which is really the model. And so then I'm thinking as well, rather than just having one Vita religion, you know, the idea is I, I say to people, listen, if you want to go onto the website, grab the contents, change the name, submit to the charity commission, you get a nature-based religion because you'll have a different audience to mine because you'll tell the story differently. And so a religion devoted to the beach, a religion devoted to whatever nature-based thing. There should be a whole bunch of them because then we got more options. You know, one of the reasons why Buddhism is so popular in the West is because it's not Christianity, right? It's a counterfoil to the normal narrative. And so really that's, I think that's a part of this. You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm somebody, I've got like the ideas, I've done the homework, but I'm constrained by resources. Once I've got resources, then we can really start actually building some pretty amazing things, including potentially some other other religions that just so that if you're a religious you know if you've got like some people have religious fervor wouldn't it be good if they could have religious fervor over beach maintenance as opposed to polishing you know crystals in the church or whatever you know more options all personnel the evacuation order has been Success close at hand. Nobody will believe it's possible until we show them. But when that day comes, you know what they'll say? They'll say that it was inevitable. Nature is my religion, and the earth is my church. A book from 1989 called A Native American Approach to Education quotes a Native American woman called Winona LaDuke as saying, Nature is my religion, and the earth is my church. The mainstream religions are ecologically unsustainable. The teachings are ecologically unsustainable. Not because they're specifically asking us to destroy the planet, but they're asking us to regard the planet as something that is not as worthy of reverence as their mythical creature in the sky, right? So where Vita comes in, Vita is sort of like a, a plug, like a plug-in uh, or a patch. You get a computer software, it's glitchy. You bring Vita in, fixes it. Right, so it can help make Christianity ecologically sustainable.
We've just formed the first IDG hub in Melbourne, the inner development goals, because the top scientists in the climate change movement have realised, have realised that we can't get to climate justice because we don't have our inner awareness and self-awareness self in place. So the inner development goals of being, thinking, relating, collaborating and acting, think about it, being, self-awareness, all of these things are going to be important now. And we're going to have to really step up in this space of what I call sacred activism, yeah? And fill the hope budget. Because the despair budget is just going to go through the freaking roof. And I think young people are the ones copying it at this stage in a massive way. Massive way. So we as elders in the room need to step up. So let's step up and make some good trouble. Thank you. said Gilbert Rochekust, who's a city planner from Melbourne, who's got this vision that we need a revolution of the imagination, as he told us in the Sustainable Hour recently, and as he told the audience at a Melbourne town hall meeting where he was speaking, a climate emergency meeting back in September. Sacred activism. Hmm. Is that the new name? for what we're talking about here. Certainly Guy Lane talks about the same thing. The holy grail is not to create a religion where people disappear into themselves and meditate out in nature and so on. No, the grail is about the way that spirituality can help create very powerful agents for change. I have seen the grail. No grail here. I have seen it, I have seen it. The environment movement has many, many people who are already motivated, and I suspect they are motivated spiritually. They just don't call it that. If people are spiritually motivated to protect the planet, they will go the extra yard. So, so through spirituality is this pathway for a profound, radical, rapid, personal behavioral change. That's what I'm trying to tease out. So we want to have programs that awaken people spiritually to nature and create the framework for them to go forward as powerful agents of change. So that's the starting point of the climate revolution today, the inner climate revolution. And the idea of creating a religion in Guy Lane's case, it's the Vita religion, but as we're going to hear, he sees that actually as an open source for many religions, for a whole field of religions that could start blossoming on this very central belief that nature is sacred. But first, let's hear how it all started for Guy Lane. In 2015, Pope Francis put out this document called the encyclical Laudato Si, and it was Broadly speaking, it was a papal teaching that said that, you know, it's sinful to kill the planet, right? And, and, and I thought when that came out, I thought this is great because here we've got this institution that's got 1.2 billion followers. It's hierarchical. It's almost like the king has made a decree. And I've been involved in environmental sustainability stuff since, I think since 1993 when I was working in the oil industry and I saw the plastic bags drifting past the ship off the coast of Taiwan. That was really the moment where something triggered in my, my mind that something was wrong. I didn't know rationally why it was wrong, I knew it emotionally that it was wrong. And it's taken me years to 
be able to answer why it is rationally wrong. And so I was really excited. Here's the Pope, he's gonna save the planet. A year later is 2016 and the Pope goes to um, Poland. Big visit, international news. And I saw the footage of him stepping off a private jet. And it's 1200 kilometers from the Vatican to Poland and you can take a train. And I'm like, well, where's the planet saving Pope, you know? And then I thought, what am I thinking, right? This is an institution that's founding documents goes back over 2000 years. This is an institution that's got over two millennia of practice, which is often hostile to the living planet, not to mention women, children, indigenous people. It is inconceivable that the Catholic church or the mainstream religions can pivot far or fast enough to make a meaningful difference to the climate and ecological crisis. That was the insight that I had. And I wrote this down on a blog and I said, if we're going to persist with religions, we really need a religion devoted to the living planet. Specifically, what I wrote was we need a, we need a religion devoted to Gaia. Okay, so Gaia, Gaia theory that the living planet behaves in the manner of a single organism, maintains homeostasis. Anyway, I posted this 1200 uh, word rant. Well, it wasn't a rant, it was well thought through. And I said, look, if we're going to have a religion, then... I went and looked at the Charity Commission's guidelines of what is a religion. So, you know, I said, oh, it's a belief in a supernatural and the acceptance of canons of conduct to give effect to the belief. I said, well, that's easy. We've got Gaia, right? Supernatural, sacred, and the canons of conduct is what environmentalists do. So there was actually a religion just sitting right there. It just needed to be hobbled together. So I put this together in this blog and I put it on LinkedIn. And then I went on and did something else because it wasn't the primary focus of my life. It was just that thing that triggered me on that particular day. A couple of days later, I got contacted by a Malaysian guy who was running a big international conference funded by the British Royals. It was called Emerging Leaders Dialogue Asia. And he says, would you like to come to Kuala Lumpur and share the idea of your nature-based religion? I'm like, what? <laughs> Just a blog. I said, yeah, okay. So I, I worked on it for two months and I went to KL, did my presentation, and I've been working on it ever since. And when I first, and I incorporated the vehicle, so to actually, get, to actually get it registered as a religion, you've got to put the paperwork in through the Charity Commission. You've got to register a vehicle. It was a public company limited by guarantee. We did that in March, 2020. It took about six or eight weeks to get the paperwork through. And I've sort of been working on it pretty much full time since then. But when, it, when I first started telling people that I created this new religion, what I realized was, Religious people already had a religion and non-religious people weren't really looking for one in the first place. So in a way, I'd sort of created something that wasn't, you know, it's like a, um, it's like an, an uh, uh, oyster ice cream. <laughs> it's theoretically possible, but not many people out there are gonna wanna eat it. And so, and so what I did was I started to delve further into the idea, go back to the original conception and, and what I realized that it wasn't just religion, it was sort of philosophy. There was a philosophy that was missing. Um, and it was the spiritual aspect as well. So the spiritual connection to nature. So I started to delve into all of those different spaces, the big space. Um, and then what's happened recently, and so this is where LifeWise philosophy came from. And this is where the, all of the thinking around spirituality, including the question of where did spirituality come from in humans in the first place? I mean, everybody just assumes 
that spirituality is there. But my inquiry was, where did it arise in human evolution? And so this then frames part of the broader thinking in this space. Um, and to answer that question, it seems that the, the Homo sapiens evolved around 300,000 years ago, but for most of that time, uh, we were what was, they refer to as archaic humans, relatively primitive tools, hadn't really changed much in a very, very long time. But then around 70,000 years ago, there was this profusion of advanced tool making, evidenced in many cases by archery, uh, arrowheads, because it's very complex to actually develop archery. And what I come to understand was that this uh, revolution of, of technology was associated with a whole bunch of cognitive capabilities that came out of a, an advanced central nervous system with language is the origins of spirituality in humans. It might have been there in a proto form, but it, it existed in an advanced form from 70,000 years ago in Africa. And the real evidence of it is in Europe in, from 40,000 years ago. They call that the Upper Paleolithic Revolution. It started in Africa, spread out. And there's a lot more anthropologists in Europe than Africa, so that's where they've got most of the evidence. So the Cro-Magnon people were the first people to really have this full expression of of spirituality, but also art, funerary practices, advanced technology, and so forth. So I'm starting to create this sort of like a deeper understanding of this whole space, the religion side of it, the philosophy side of it, the spiritual side of it. And, and that's really what I've been working on. Now, I've got a pass to get to COP28. I was at CBD COP15 in Montreal in December. CBD is the Convention for Biological Diversity. Hugely important. This was their Paris Agreement moment, the Montreal Kunming Declaration. It's really a, an agreement uh, about how humans will conduct themselves with respect to the biosphere over the coming decades. And this COP in Dubai is also hugely important in terms of the relationship between humans and nature. Um, it's like in part because the fossil fuel industry is running it. This is the first COP, which is actually run by an oil man. So, so, and so part of my aspiration was to be, was to go to these places, these incredible forums where so many deep thinkers in this space gather that I could share my message there. And as I'm sort of preparing for COP28, a number of things happened and I thought it's time to go back to the idea of the religion. So I, I packaged all of that thinking up and I've put out a little 12 page document that explains it. And there is a faith and earth program at the COP. Um, you find these in a lot of big forums. They'll basically have, um, you know, religious people come in and talk about how their religions interact with the ecosystem stuff. Um, and so I've applied to basically have a speaking arrangement there. I don't know if I'll get one, but the idea is to actually launch Vita Religion in Dubai at the COP. And that's, that's what I've been working on over the last few years. So religion means a lot more than a 12-page paper. It has songs, it has rituals, and it has a congregation, people who gather and do stuff. Yeah. Have you thought about that? Okay, so in the first instance, the definition of religion that I'm, I work on, to keep it really simple, is religion involves a belief in a supernatural being, thing, or principle, and the acceptance of canons of conduct which give effect to that belief. So from the perspective, from the work that I've been doing, that is the starting point, okay? 
So this is a religion because A, it demonstrates the belief in the supernatural and the canons of conduct. And secondly, is because that work that I put forward has been accepted by the Australian Charity Commission. So in that regard, it is a religion. In the regard that you're describing, then it is a proto-religion that is yet to actually have its songs, its rituals and its mass following. Okay, so this is the beginnings of the process and that is exactly where we intend to go. Just to be clear, I'm not guided in the development of this work by the mainstream religions, all right? I'm, I'm guided in the development of this work by my inspiration from nature and also from Shinto religion. So in Japan, my understanding is if you ask the average Japanese person if they are religious, they would tell you no. But if you then ask them how often they go to the Shinto temple, ritualistically wash their hands, throw the coin in the box, ring the bell, light, right? They'll say, oh, we do that every week. <laughs> so they partake in, in, in what can only be described as religious practices, but they don't regard themselves as religion because Shinto is actually more of a, a secular belief system than a religion in the way that we understand it in the West. And that's how I envisage Vita will will be successful not grandiose not dictatorial not with all this fuzzy god business it's simply about a reverence for nature understanding ourselves as part of the living planet and the acceptance that there are certain practices that one might undertake if one actually held those beliefs um, and that's and that's all ahead of me and and where i am right now is trying to figure out how to go from this proto stage to actually expand rapidly because if, if this is going to have an impact, it, you know, we, we're on a, like being on an airliner where all the engines are cut out. We're heading down very fast. If Vita religion is going to have an influence in preventing the collapse and fostering the transition into a sustainable age, then it needs to expand very, very quickly and it needs to be very thorough and it needs to be done properly. And the, the mechanism by which it actually changes the outcome is in the first instance we think there's around 53 million people who will take this up in the first instance we call them latent vetans vetan is somebody who follows vita latent means that they it's like the person that doesn't know that they're going to love the uh, the the oyster ice cream right but our, our numbers suggest that 10 percent of the population is going to go bananas right so they're the latent oyster ice cream people they just haven't come across oyster ice cream yet so latent vetans are people that haven't come across the documents yet. So we think there's 53 million people in the first iteration. And that number comes from basically around a quarter of the cultural creative people in the Western world. Okay, now you can argue as whether it's a quarter or a fifth or a third, but it's just a number that we're using that gives us a grasp. That's about 8% of the Western public, right? And that's also about half of the spiritual but not religious people. Right, make up about 15% of the West. Now you might go, well, well, people who are spiritual but not religious be interested in a religion because it's not a religion in the classic sense. It's more of a secular belief system. So, and so all we're really doing is we're just taking the best of environmentalism, thinking about the possibilities for the future, the possibilities of humans actually living sustainably with nature. We call that the, the verdant age. Actually understanding what lies ahead of us, which is the, the, the sun eventually consumes its fuel, turns into a red dwarf, burns off the planet we've got maybe two billion years of life left on the planet what part of that life can humans conceivably enjoy maybe 
230 million years to give a number that's a galactic year that's about the time it takes for the uh, solar system our solar system to spin around the galaxy if you go back in time 230 million years you find yourself around the permian extinction the great dying so there's this sort of there are these natural waypoints that help us to create a cosmovision a, a time frame that gives us a sense of where we are in relation to the past and the future um, and these are all things that you'd expect to have in a religion and that you have in the narrative of Vita religion. Religions though also have priests and typically a, a system where people are donating and there's a way to finance the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that's what I've been working on over the last few years and part of the reason why when this con was conceived in 2016 was incorporated in 2023 and people say what have you been doing well i've been working on all of those things and one of the one of the things is the creation of some icons so this is this is one of the icons this is called a quen uh, q-u-e-n-n um, it basically is a it's stainless steel this the symbolism of the quen is that it's the symbol of the anthropocene epoch right so the anthropocene is the modern era in which the humans are the main drivers of change on the climate and environment um, and and it's the symbol of the Anthropocene because if you think of the lower rings representing the living planet and civilization and the outer ring representing a continuum the continuum is broken because humans are not presently in balance with nature the Anthropocene is characterized by this imbalance the upper circle there with the sort of little eyes if you can see it um, that symbol represents the Verda uh, or the Verdant Age, the potential future time when humans and the living planet thrive in synergy deep into the long future. So from within the Anthropocene comes the, is the seed of the Verdant Age. That's the symbolism. So this is laser cut stainless steel, stainless steel wire with a magnetic clasp. I've been wearing these things every day for the last three years and it's a good solid piece of kit. And, and when people see it, quite often people go, wow, that's really interesting. And you just pluck it off like that. And then it creates the space for a conversation. So that's one way that we can fund our operation is the sale of uh, icons. There's a whole bunch of other icons as well. So there's jewelry piece. There's also an archery tradition. So if you look at archery, so one of the, back, just back into Vita for a moment, the, the practices, one of the practices is called reinvent new year. And which is really a call to support the reinvention of all institutions because if you imagine all institutions have brought us to the point of climate and ecological collapse and that everything needs to be reviewed and then reinvented to make it sustainable and so if you go into an archery shop as in bows and arrows you can stand there you would think it's an extension of the fossil fuel industry it's all made of plastic this and fiberglass that so the idea of vegan archery is very simple it's just archery using all natural materials if you've eaten archer should be able to put his archery kit right his um bow his arrow the arrow string the uh the sleeve that the the bow sits in the arm guard the whole thing should be able to go into a blender and make a smoothie out of it and it'll be a tasty nutritious meal can't do that with normal archery so the idea is to create like the vegan version of various things in this case archery and then that potentially generates a revenue stream And you might say, well, you don't really want to be selling goods and services because they're unsustainable. Okay, but we're trying to make these things sustainable. You know, is there a is there a material that we can make a bow out of, for example, which is beneficial to nature, in which case we want people to have them. Sort of like cork. 
cork is a sustainable material because the cork industry keeps the cork forests alive. So that's part of the thinking is to develop these uh, enterprises based on Vietan principles that can then help to fund the spread of the religion. And then of course there's books and podcasts and all the rest of it. I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions after the nonsense you pulled on Nowhere. I just saved Quill. Years ago, I used to live on a sailing boat when I did my undergrad degree. I did the sailing trip north from Brisbane. I got as far as Mackay uh, before I had to turn back. And um, I got stuck in Bundaberg for a few weeks with engine problems. When I got out of Bundaberg, I got this to sail from the Burnett River north and I got as far as a place called 1770 where I anchored overnight in the lee of this headland. That was the most extraordinary night I think of, of my life. It was a uh, new moon, so it's full dark. This was a place with zero sky glow. So sky glow is artificial night sky brightness because we're far enough away from civilization and towns. Clear skies, no cloud. I had the full spectrum of the Milky Way above me. You could see almost a three-dimensionality in the stars. And I'm sailing on my own at night um, it's calm and the light that's available is the light of the stars it's not the light of the star right reflected our star reflected off the moon and there is this and a little a masthead light on the yacht and there is this flash and I look up and it's a brown booby bird brown boobies are uh, they're a sort of a medium-sized bird beautiful animals they, they live they're oceanic birds they um, brown back, white belly, long beak, and if you ever see them feeding, they basically fall from the sky like an arrow, punch into the water. They can swim under the water. It's a diving bird. Anyway, this thing flew around, landed on the boat, on the, on the spreader, and he became my companion. And then later on, he uh, flew down from the spreader, stood on the bow of the boat, right next to the chain locker, which is where my anchor was. So when it came time for me to drop the anchor, I had <laughs> this bird and what it had done is it had, it had put its head under its arm, under its wing, and it was asleep on the deck and I'd pulled the boat up. I didn't have a motor, right? So I'd pulled the boat up and I had to get the anchor out and, and this bird was in the way and it woke up and it told me to F off. It was rah, rah, rah. And I kind of pushed it off the side of the boat with my foot because it was, you know, I didn't kick it, you know, but I had this interaction with this bird. And that interaction with that bird for me was a portal into a deep spiritual reverence for life on earth. For me, it's like a portal. That's how I describe it. The brown booby, Sula uh, Lucagasta, that's the name of the bird, for me is the thing that makes me kind of weak. The thought that climate change is destroying the ocean and it's destroying the habitat or the food supply, okay? Um, in this part of the world, just north of here, an hour and a half, I'm in Noosa, 
a place called um, Tin Can Bay, there are dolphins come ashore onto the beach every morning. And I've, three times now I go up there, you can feed, hand feed the dolphins. It's a powerful, powerful connection to our place on the living planet. And really, when you come into the room of Vita, Vita religion, you know, the word religion puts everybody off, but just think of it as, as a belief that that's, nature is sacred. That's what's in Vita religion. Nature is sacred. And what we are doing to the planet in the annihilation of life, the destruction of the climate stability, is, is wrong. It is simply wrong. It, it is wrong at the deepest level of the human being because we're destroying, if, if nothing else, we're destroying our life support system. So what's the difference between shooting yourself in the head and continuing to expand the fossil fuel industry? It's the same thing. And so what really seemed to be missing for me, again, coming back to the story about the Pope and all of it, was uh, uh, an institution that could really explore that deep spiritual connection to nature and and from that motivate people to take the extraordinary actions that are necessary to turn the ship. See, Vita religion is based on, a, on an outcome and the outcome is that we humans get to live sustainably for hundreds of millions of years, right? In order to do that, we've got to get through the Anthropocene crisis, we've got to euthanize the fossil fuel industry, we've got to pull the plastic out of the ocean, we've got to fix up the mess with the nuclear waste, we've got to transition the energy supply system, blah, 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 right? Now, I could actually just written those down as practices, but the trouble with that is that's our current understanding of the situation today. Now, it might be tomorrow there is other things that are a greater priority. So I didn't really want to deal with the practices at that level. I wanted to deal with them on a sort of more abstract level that creates more flexibility for people to figure out where they fit. So there's eight in total. Let me just mention a couple. First one is live with earthity. Live with earthity is really an exhortation. Just be a decent human being. If you're a cell in the body of a greater being, the core principle is that all life on earth forms a single organism. We call that vitae planeta, right? The living planet. So the living planet of the biosphere is a single organism of which we are a part. So when we pollute the environment, we're polluting the greater self. That's the concept of it. And when you see yourself as a part of a, a broader thing, you start to honor and revere the greater thing because you understand that your, your interests are tied together. So live with earthity is simply an exhortation just to be a decent human being. Don't be racist, don't be misogynistic, you know, be a good environmentalist, right? Just be a decent human being. You know, a Stoicism, the ancient Greek philosophy around eudaimonia, living a, a good life. The good life in that case was a life that's good for you, but a life that is you being a contributor to society. Okay? So Vita's basically tries to fill the gap that wasn't there. We're not trying to replace Stoicism. We want Vedans to be Stoics. We want Vedans to practice Buddhist practices, for example. Okay? Because that philosophy is already well thought through. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to bring in the bit that's been missing, which is the ecological sustainability part. So another, another practice is Vita Mission. So practice a Vita Mission. And that's basically find your mission in the, in the big journey. If you think of it as, as a war, we've got a war going on where we've got, to, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to get rid of the fossil fuel industry for one, right? What type of soldier are you in that battle? Now, now the, the seabird, the Sula Leucogaster, follows instinct, right? We have culture overrides instinct. We can choose our place, so find your place. 
for me, one of my Vita missions is to create the Vita religion and to share it around the world. Okay, so find your mission. Now you might execute that mission through your day job um, as an environmental professional in some form, or you might work a regular job and perform your Vita mission in the afternoon. Some people wanna be street activists, some people research solar cells. Find your mission. So there too, and then reinvent new year, which is an exhortation to reinvent all institutions. So what's the sustainable version of archery? What's the sustainable version of politics, if you like? Okay, what's the sustainable version of new year? So new year as it's practiced in the West is basically uh, a commemoration of the circumcision of Christ. That's what it is, it's where, it's where the 1st of January came from. So when I, when I learned that, I'm like, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna have new year on foreskin day anymore. What's a better day to celebrate the new year? It's, a, it's an arbitrary day after all. So I've established 16th of July as the new year, which is the commemoration of the Trinity bomb test, which is the first nuclear bomb test, which is the de facto date of the beginning of the Anthropocene epoch. So there's some depth in there. We can come back to that if you like. Um, and then one of the other practices is, is a burial practice or a funerary practice that says that when you die, you know, rather than having your ashes sitting in a jar, just go back into, go back to nature, like green burials or burials at sea or, or cremation, but let, let the minerals in your body be taken up by other organisms. You know, this idea of we're part of this flow of life, right? So that's, that's a few of the practices. And when I first sort of really thought them through, then I realized that they were pretty good and, and they've sort of stood the test of time over the last seven years. And I think within that space, it covers pretty much everything that needs to be covered. So you've defined or you've laid out a pathway, but in the process, let's say that suddenly there's thousands of people coming along with you on this journey. Is that then going to be like a democracy where if somebody thinks, ah, that 16th of July idea with the new year, I don't like that. Yeah. I have another idea. How is the process from here on? Is this, you know, written in stone? Uh, Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and it was written in stone? Or how is the future for that? So, in approaching this project, I use um, a model called Blue Ocean Strategy. Blue Ocean Strategy came out of a Singapore business school in around 2000. And it's a way of looking at business uh, uh, sectors reinventing business models okay to give you an example Cirque Soleil right it's a Canadian circus travels around the world and they've got permanent um, they, the model of a circus the biggest headache of a traditional circus two of them is the animals because of the you know Peter activists and animal activists and the cost you know and tigers occasionally eat the, <laughs> the elephant occasionally steps on somebody Right, and, and star performers, because star performers can be precocious, expensive, there ain't that many of them, and if he's got a bad, he's got a headache, the show doesn't go on. So Cirque Soleil dispensed with the animals and the star performers. So all of the performers in the Cirque Soleil are humans, and there's no, they're not named, they're, it's an ensemble. And that opened up Cirque Soleil to become the most successful circus troupe on the planet. So this is core, blue ocean strategy. You look at a traditional model and you take something away, you add something in, you reduce something, you heighten something. And so if you apply that same model to religion, the first thing you do is get rid of God and 
all that fairy fairy tale stuff, right? You get rid of the dogma, okay, and so forth. So you apply this model, and so specifically to your question, the exhortation to reinvent New Year is not to reinvent it to the 16th of July. It's to is to put your critical eye on the institution of New Year and come up with one that is fitting to the purpose. So the idea is you can choose your own New Year, right? The the thinking through in that in a broader detail would be that when Vita religion spreads, it will spread through what I call pods, which is that somebody in a community will go, hey, I love this, I wanna make this happen. And they will basically say, what do we do? Okay, so every full moon we bring people together for big talk where we talk about big issues and this is where we can recruit people and share the ideas and we can sit down we can figure out what our new year is okay now if you choose the new year to be the birth date of the guy that invented harley davison's well that's not that's not in conformity with the belief in the living planet is it so and again so when i, when I was thinking through the the practices one of the ideas was hey why not put a chicken on your head on tuesday right I mean, you could say, hey, you can make this stuff up, right? But how does that actually translate to a belief in that we're part of a single organism? That was really the, the guiding principle. And so the other thing was because we're trying to frame the religion around nature, what we know about nature is that everywhere you go, it has some core principles, but it's completely different. So the idea of Vita religion is that it, it, it's different everywhere you go. That if you went to a Vita practice five years from now, in Dubai, hypothetically, or Byron, or Koh Samui, or London, they would have different New Year's, they'd have different practices, they'd have different rituals, they'd make it up from the core. So the question is then whether the core is set in stone. So that's a good point. So in the first instance, and this, this is a problem, if you listen to Roger Hallam talking about Extinction Rebellion and movements and things, you have this problem called who decides who decides, right? Which is this idea that if they say, okay, we're gonna have like, you know, five five demands for the rebellion. Well, who decides that? Well, I, you know, it's the committee decided that. Great, well, who decided who was on the committee? That problem goes on and on and on and on and on. At some point, somebody needs to put a flag in the ground and saying, I'm making a determination here. This is where it starts. And that's what I have done with Vita Religion. My plan is that once the thing has got some size and some scope and some resources, then we could open up a committee who would then be making the decisions about what is set in stone and what isn't. I came across a guy recently, I did some training and this guy's and he gave me his business card and I looked up his website. This guy teaches followership skills. Okay? So I, I've long thought that we need followership training. We got all this leadership training, right? Everyone's trained, everyone can go and get training to be a leader. Where's the training to be a follower. So a good follower is not, a good follower doesn't just give blind trust to the leader. A good follower will maintain a healthy skepticism to the leadership. A good follower will have the pluck to go and speak with the leader to share his concerns. So I think part of, I think part of, again, this comes back to blue ocean strategy, taking the model of religion, okay, which is pretty awful in the way it is conducted today. It is pretty awful, right? It's pretty awful. And then just find the proper way of doing it. And part of that is this relationship between the rule makers, the leaders, and the followers. And in, in traditional religion, the way we think of it today, 
the followers blindly follow the hierarchy. So that's part of the problem that we're trying to resolve here by this discipline of, of followership training, if you like. So then if you were to try and sort of break Vita down into like the five core parts, then yeah, the sacredness of nature, I think is, is integral to that. And, and that is, I mean, it's the other day when I was writing this little booklet, this is the little 12 page booklet. That you, it actually turns into like a little $1.50 at, um, $1.70 at Officeworks. If you want to print them in this format, you can download the file off the website. It's just a 12 page A4. Um, as I was sitting there working away on this the other day, I looked up and I thought, why am I doing this? Why hasn't somebody already done this? And you know, that's a good question. And, and here's the thing is that there's 8,000 million human beings on the planet. There's very, very few people that are, that are, that are entrepreneuring in this space. And the other thing I was talking to my associate, um, Bill, Bill's the co-director of the, there's a company, when you set up the charity, you have a company, it's a public company limited by guarantee. Um, so I've got, there's three directors. I'm the founder, chairman, co-director. Uh, I've got two other directors. Uh, Bill, who's been with me on this project from the beginning, you know, was saying, this is really hard. Every time I talk to people about religion, I get all this blowback. I said, that's actually the, that's the beauty of this project, that it's hard. Some companies, uh, corporations that develop technology don't go down the process of patenting because the pathway to get there was so difficult, it's highly unlikely that anybody's gonna be able to follow them. It's like this, it is, this is really hard work to get your head around religion given the blowback against religion. But when you read the definition of religion, religion involves a belief in a supernatural being, thing or principle. A supernatural being, a supernatural thing, or a supernatural principle, right? And the acceptance of canons of conduct to give effect to that belief. You ever met anybody that loves pugs? And you say, hey, why don't you get a Labrador? And they say, Labrador? What about a poodle? Poodle? I'm a pug man. Why? Because you hold that pugs are something beyond the normal dog. You are practicing a religion in your pug ownership because you hold that this animal is, is distinct and it's, right? If you follow, I don't follow sport, right? But if, if you follow the Rabbitohs, for example, okay? Those thousands of football teams, they're all the goddamn same. They're all the same, right? But oh, no, 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 the Rabbitohs, you know, and you've got the jersey and you go there, you have a fight if somebody says something, you are following a religion, okay? So when you, when you understand religion in that sense, then all of a sudden it's not some nasty, horrible thing that, that I've created. It's just put into words. Now, the difference between the Rabbitohs and a religion, even though they practice a religion, is that the Rabbitohs aren't a registered religious institution. Because in order to do that, they have to become a non-profit. <laughs> okay? So, so when you understand religion from that perspective, you realize that most people practice five or six every day. They're just not mainstream registered religious institutions. And all I've really done was to create a registered religious institution around reverence for nature and the things that you do to make. And in order to do that, I had to actually specify the practices. That's been the nature of it. So, and again, back to the idea of, of Vita is that, you know, if you look at the extremes of religion, like ISIS, for example, um, ISIS's position was that if you are not ISIS, we will simply kill you, right? So we're not like that. 
like you know we're like here's a reverence for nature here's a way of expressing it if you're a christian you can be a vegan okay i a friend of mine in um new south wales is a phd in forest governance gets up every morning puts his boots and his leggings on and goes and butts heads with loggers right he's all over it his whole life and when he comes home he walks into his house and he's got a piece of marble in his yard with a religious icon on it he's deeply his deep christian faith he's a vegan christian so we're not we're not exclusive we're not we're not trying to stop people being christians we just want them to have we just want them to adopt a reverence for nature that's what it's about the other thing is that the mainstream religions are ecologically unsustainable the teachings are ecologically unsustainable not because they're specifically asking us to destroy the planet but they're asking us to regard the planet as something that is not as worthy of reverence as their mythical creature in the sky right so where vita comes in vita is sort of like a, a plug like a plug-in uh, or a patch you get a computer software glitchy you bring vita in fixes it right so it can help make christianity ecologically sustainable now you might find that if you actually read the teachings in the little booklet and the other work and you look at the teachings of christ you might find that there is conflict contradiction well you know what humans are actually really good at holding conflicting ideas i'm for animal rights and boy those sausages taste good there's nothing in really incompatible about that for humans so so that's that's another part of the whole idea and again that's not something that you normally find in religions because they like to say you're in our flock you know and you're not in their flock right so you have this in-group out-group concept we want to have an in-group but it's pretty flexible people can come in and go right and with that said i did tell off a christian guy at a moon party for preaching because i'm not up for people preaching at moon parties right i'm open for christians but this is not the place for you to come and share the gospel okay this is the place to come and talk about the ecosystem civilization collapse transition all that stuff how is collapse dealt with in the vita religion it is dealt with by a, 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 a grueling um, realism that we may have already committed ourselves to extinction right we may have already passed the key tipping points we may simply be on our way out um, but given that science has all this uncertainty associated with it we can't know that that's the case so we put every effort into transition and we put every we go down fighting okay now it might be that if we go if we if we can bring enough people in um the, the thing about let me come back to that in a second but i just want to divert for a second um when people are spiritually motivated that's when you get the best bang for your buck And just to be really crude about it, ISIS knows that, right? It takes them four months to take some dumb kid off the street who only cares about football and turn him into a frontline fighter for the caliphate strapped in explosives. Not by appealing to his rational mind, by showing him a history book about how they've been oppressed by the West. By appealing to spirituality, by appealing to his deeper sense of where he fits into the big picture, what the big picture is, where they are on the timeline what happens when you die okay that's where you get people that's where you start to see people get really really um, motivated okay the environment movement has many many people who are already motivated and i suspect they are motivated spiritually they just don't call it that 
and that's really another part of Vita is it's really just trying to put a name to something that's already there and help people frame it and get a better understanding of it and then once you have that better understanding of it you can actually use it more as a tool and some people go oh you can't talk about spirituality as a tool well yes you can <laughs> yes you can if people are spiritually motivated to protect the planet they will go the extra yards go and watch the movie um the mission with uh, robert de niro where the guy gets basically spiritually inspired that his previous life as a slave trader enslaving the uh the native indians in this i think it was at panama or somewhere amazonia when he understands that that was wrong boom transformation and we keep hearing in the environmental movement about behavioral change well there is no more powerful behavioral change than taking a 20 year old kid off the street and turn him him into a suicide bomber now that is not my game that's not the game that i'm playing but i'm saying that the tool for that is spirituality when i was 17 i got soaked up with this um, born again christian group for about 10 months talk about radical behavioral change I went from being a 17-year-old kid, wasn't into footballs, into all sorts of other wacky stuff. And in the space of weeks, I'm reading the frickin' Bible, preaching to people on the street. Talk about radical behavioral change. What, because they explained something to me that I didn't know? No, they appealed to a deeper sense of connection to something. They gave me a pathway. They gave me a, you know, a cosmo vision. And then I wanted to conform to the new cosmo vision. So, so through spirituality is this pathway for a profound, radical, rapid, personal behavioral change. That's what I'm trying to tease out. All right. Now, that's going to take some more finesse. It's going to take some sub-organizations. It's going to take some programs. Um, we call them awakening programs. The idea of trying to, we have a concept called ecophany, which is an ecological epiphany. That's what I had on the bow of the boat. When I saw the plastics, it was an awakening to the, the wonder of nature and the frailty of it or, or, or the frailty of our position within it. So we want to have programs that awaken people spiritually to nature and create the framework for them to go forward as powerful agents of change. And what would these programs look like then? Um, just, yeah, just briefly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so, lots of different ways. So, the actual, the little booklet we write these little booklets. Lifewise philosophy is like a little book that tries to trigger that in itself, right? If you actually sit there with it, and it, in one of the sections in there is called nature. Nature speaks, and it says, you know, nature is always calling out to us. Can, can you hear? Can you hear the sound of the birds? Can you, you know, can you when the butterfly flutters into your view? She's there, right? Are you, are you awakened to it? Right, and, so, and some people just read the booklet and they're like, "Wow!" And it's, you know, that's one part of it. Another part of it is um, uh, an idea called Vita Vantage, which is the idea of a five-week program where it's like YouTube videos uh, with like a little exercise book, and you go and read this and watch that and watch the YouTube, and and it's set over over the over two full moons. So on the first full moon, you do what's called moon scoping, which is you go and find, you go and look on online to find out at what time the moon rises and where you need to look to see it. Okay, you can watch that on your own. You have this thing called the moon illusion. When the full moon rises, it appears to be much bigger than it is. If you actually put calipers out, you'd see that it doesn't change in size as it moves through the sky. But when it comes above the horizon, there's something in the human psyche that makes you go, ah, right? And that's why we have the moon parties is that you gather people together to watch the full moon rise together 
and then you have a shared peak experience which is a way of tight creating bonds with people and when people are bonded they're more likely to follow through and do extraordinary things okay um, another one would be um, like a 25 minute audio that you would play in the bath see in Western culture the bath has actually got a really special almost sacred space you lock the door where when else do you lock the door apart from maybe going to the toilet right I mean she's in the bath leave her alone okay and you have quietude you're relaxed you're not actually doing anything you put the audio in and you have this extraordinary audio experience with a na narrative okay so that's another one that we got planned another one that we've actually got prototype versions of is a uh, guided meditation so if you go onto the Vita website uh, meditation there's three of them there the first one I recorded back in 2016 is called plankton meditation and so imagine a guided meditation you know most of them would be have nice sort of soothing music in the background and the voice would say you know concentrate on your breathing and think about this great good on them right but that's not helping the ecosystems not helping you develop a deeper awe and reverence and understanding of the life on earth so it's a guided meditation that helps you understand that the plankton make the clouds and the clouds make the rain and the rain grows the healthy food so that's why we should protect the plankton so the idea is to create a whole series of guided meditations that that combines spiritual enlightenment to nature with environmental science which is really at the very heart of Vita is the fusion of environmental science with ecological spirituality that's that's it that's really it and and just to demonstrate that point uh, when I was doing my masters I did an independent study unit and like went into the academic literature around uh, spirituality and I came across a paper by a guy called Orams who was involved in uh, setting up the um, dolphin feeding program not the one I mentioned before in Tinkan Bay uh, there's another one in Queensland called uh, a place called Tangaluma on Morton Island just magical part of the world just absolutely beautiful sand island Morton Bay bottlenose dolphins come into this resort in the evening and you can feed them so highly highly regulated Orams had did a study he wrote a paper on this where there were two cohorts there were people that came in and fed the dolphins spiritual experience okay eco spiritual enlightenment experience not just the fact that you've got this wild animal and you're feeding it the power of feeding something you know uh, this wild animal comes up to you and you feed it in this extraordinarily beautiful environment right at dusk as well so you've got twilight he did the same feeding but with a 30-minute environmental education program and what he found in follow-up surveys was the people that had the spiritual experience with the dolphins and the environmental education had significantly changed certain environmental behaviors particularly around waste management recycling and so forth so for me that's evidence that the synthesis of uh, ecological enlightenment sp spiritual enlightenment to nature and the environmental sciences environmental education can foster radical pro-environmental behavioral change and, I, I and what i want is the resources to explore that and then roll it out across the whole planet because i i am absolutely convinced that when people can get away from all of the buzz and noise of commercialism and advertising and modern culture that as soon as they have that ecophony that ecological awakening to our frailty 
the system is robust. Life on the planet's been around 3.8 billion years. It ain't going anywhere. It changes form, right? Some forms are suitable to humans being here. And we are radically changing it into a form that's not suitable to humans. As soon as people awaken to that, they'll find within themselves the, the, the wherewithal and the capacity to start becoming superheroes. And there's plenty of institutions for them to join. They can join Greenpeace, they can join Extinction Rebellion. All I want to do is I want to fire them up and send them off, right? I don't need to set up programs. I don't need to try and reinvent Extinction Rebellion. It's already there. We just got to, we just want to recruit. I need your help. I look around at us. You know what I see? Losers. I mean, like, folks who have lost stuff. And we have, man, we have, all of us. Our homes. Our families. Normal lives. And usually life takes more than it gives, but not today. Today it's given us something. It has given us a chance. To do what? To give a shit. For once. Not run away. I, for one, am not going to stand by and watch as Ronan wipes out billions of innocent lives. Look, Will, stopping Ronan, it's impossible. You're asking us to die. Yeah, I guess I am. lived most of my life surrounded by my enemies. I will be grateful to die among my friends. You are an honorable man, Quill. I will fight beside you. And in the end, see my wife and daughter again. Lifespan, anyway. Now I'm standing. You all happy? We're all standing up now. Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. There is a word that contains a lot of what we've been talking about in the Climate Revolution Hour today. Storning. Storning, that's the laughter of friends sitting around the campfire, or it's the sight of a breathtaking sunset over a serene mountain landscape. Storning means a state of profound contentment and inner peace. It's that moment when you are entirely in tune with your surroundings and yourself. The embodiment of pure, unadulterated happiness. Those simple beautiful moments in life. And from a creative point of view, Storning is the discovery of a hidden world. It's the art of finding magic in the everyday. 
or the ability to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. Stoning is a word for that elusive feeling when everything just aligns perfectly. I have seen the grail! No grail here. I have seen it! I have seen it! But there is one small problem. Yes, there is one small problem. Which is this word that I just invented, stoning, actually doesn't exist. I made it up. Just to give an example of how we can choose which meaning and purpose we want in our lives. We can be as diverse and as imaginative in this climate revolution as we like. We can explore creativity, creating new ideas or even new religions, as we heard Guy talk about. Generate or regenerate a climate revolution, a nature revolution, a spiritual revolution or an ecological awakening. What we need is a revolution. I dedicated the third episode of this Climate Revolution series to the hashtag FindYourRole. And today Guy talked about finding your mission. Same thing. The climate revolution begins right there up in your head. The inner climate revolution. I can't, I can't keep living the way that I'm living. Something... What is my role or what my place? My name is Mick Eid, and I plan to spend the next months on another revolution, one which we call the business revolution. So stay tuned, you can catch up by following the Sustainable Hours podcast stream where we will be talking about everything that we're producing and you can catch us in all the different podcast players on your phone, Apple, Spotify and so on. And if you want to contact me, you can send me an email on mikeid at climatesafety.info Also, we'll make a transcription and put everything out as podcast notes on the website climatesafety.info David Attenborough and uh, Kookaburra will have the last word in today's eco-spiritual episode. There just could be a change in moral attitude from people worldwide, politicians worldwide, to see that self-interest is for the past, common interest is for the future.